This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Two decades of rehab couldn't reverse the paralysis in Howard Rocket's left arm. That is, until he tried a promising new technology for stroke victims. Coming up, we'll tell you all about functional electrical stimulation. Plus, we're just days away from Idea City 2015. Dr. Olga Kowalczuk is part of the Forever Young pod. Today, she'll give us a preview of her presentation about epigenetics and how we can take a personalized approach to combating aging and diseases. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Canadians who live in nursing homes are some of the country's most depressed individuals. That's according to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, which used a new web tool that assessed care at over 1,200 facilities across the country. The Institute looked at nine indicators and found one in four long-term care residents reported symptoms of depression in 2013 and 14, and that rate is significantly higher than the national average. The Institute says depression is important to measure since it affects the quality of life and treatments are available. The Pan Am Games are set to start in just a few weeks here in Toronto. Team Canada is expected to do very well with 574 athletes competing. However, one of those athletes had to overcome age discrimination to make the team. Kateri Vracking is a 42-year-old archer who placed third at the qualifiers in Montreal. She was shocked when she was told that her spot was being given to a 19-year-old who placed fifth because she was the younger archer. Vracking threatened legal action. It took only a few weeks before Archery Canada, facing accusations of ageism, reversed its decision. Now Vracking will be competing at the Games, and the 19-year-old will have to wait her turn. At 92 years old, Dallas resident Muriel Clayton has become a new mother. It's not what you think. She officially adopted 76-year-old Mary Smith, her cousin, whom she has raised most of her life. Muriel began caring for Mary when the 11-year-old's father passed away and her mother was too ill to take care of her properly. For decades, Muriel was her mom in everything but title, never officially adopting her out of respect for Mary Smith's biological mother. Finally, just before Mother's Day this year, Muriel asked Mary if she would like to be adopted. And according to Muriel, her face just lit up. This week... The pair went to a Dallas court where the adoption was made official. A hearty well done from Her Majesty the Queen and a pittance of a pension. Apart from that, we are the same. To us, Mr. Bond, we are the best. 
This week, we lost Christopher Lee, the British screen legend famous for playing horror villains and other creepy characters. He first came to prominence playing Dracula in the 50s and 60s and then went on to play the Bond villain Scaramanga in The Man with the Golden Gun. Much later, he earned a new generation of fans for his roles as Saruman in The Lord of the Rings and Count Dooku in Star Wars. And even later in life, Lee reinvented himself as a heavy metal singer. In 2010, he recorded and released his debut album titled Charlemagne by the Sword and the Cross. A follow-up to that album was released just last year. Lee passed away this week at the age of 93. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Epigenetics is a relatively new science that is showing how external factors like the environment and lifestyle can trump our genetic destiny. My next guest is at the forefront of research to harness epigenetics to combat aging and age-related diseases. I reached Dr. Olga Kowalczyk at her lab at the University of Lethbridge. Epigenetics gives us hope. We can research how through diet, through lifestyle, through certain chemical modifications, like through certain medicines, we can influence the way genes are expressed. Because epigenetics, I often tell my students this analogy, is if our genome is like our hardware, like our computer, then epigenome is software. So it's how we run that hardware. And through a variety of influences, we can turn the genes on or turn the genes off. We just have to learn the best ways to do so. And how are you applying this to aging? Well, you know, the interesting sentence about aging, what is aging? Aging is a route from maternity ward to the graveyard. Sorry for a grim analogy, right? And it starts with pretty much it starts at birth or even earlier. So if we study how the organism develops and how the epigenome reshapes through this continuum, beginning very early in life, we can devise the strategies how to preserve our epigenome, how to guard it. So we need to study it from the very, very beginning because it becomes too late when things go wrong then we get reactive, not proactive, and think, oh, gosh, things went wrong. How can we fix it? And we devise strategies to fix it. But I think we should be focusing on how to start preventing aging from the very day of birth. Okay. How, you know, kind of before it's too late. Before it's too late. Yes, before it's too late. It is a bit late for us. So uh, what have you found about how to fix it? Through dietary interactions, we can change the way our genomes work operate our genes work as well as through and this is um, you know I'm not only an academic I've been involved as founder of two companies one is Canada Cancer and Aging Research Laboratories and the other very recent one uh, very new one is called Remedifage so one of the aspects that we are very interested in is looking into the microbiome because they help us to metabolize our food they not really control, but partake in regulating our vitamin balances and so on and so forth. So if we were to determine the healthy state of that microbiome and how to correct it back to the healthy state, that could definitely help us combat aging and age-related diseases. Do you have any conclusions about uh, some dietary changes we could be making right now? 
we have probiotics, we have a couple of other future interesting uh, non non-antibiotic options to get rid of bad bacteria, that would definitely help in um, kind of building healthier us and combating aging. So you're believing in probiotics. Anything else? Well, from the other standpoint, we have been involved in developing. So this, this is from preventative side, right? We also have a reactive approach, right? Unfortunately, now cancer is still considered disease of aging. So it's associated with aging. And of course, a lot has been focused on prevention, but again, as you said, we still have to react to the current cases and make sure people get the best treatment possible. So we have been involved in development of new uh, program that can predict which specific chemotherapy drug would benefit to a given patient mm-hmm. based that's, on that's, genes that are expressed. Okay, that's basically personalized medicine. Yes, it is. And we can do the same thing for uh, finding geoprotectors. Because there are a lot of drugs that have geoprotective potential, but how do we know which one is best for a given individual? So, again, using bioinformatics approaches, using transcriptomics and epigenomics, we can devise the ways to find the best and personalized regimen, anti-aging regimen, for any given individual. You've also done some work on radiation, the effects of radiation, and how to reverse them? Yes. And? So far, I don't think we can completely say that we have the ways to reverse it, but some of our early experiments suggest that vitamin therapy, specifically folic acid, may be looked into as having some potential protective capacities. It has to be still researched, but in general, modifying epigenome through uh, using approaches that are actually now available, like folate supplementation, by example, uh, that can hold some of the answers, some of the keys to kind of modifying unhealthy or kind of bad effects of radiation. And we devised some strategies uh, that actually can be used to mitigate it. So we used special environmental enrichments in, in rats, so which were essentially gave them the ability to exercise more, more capabilities to interact with others, but that mitigated the side effects of radiation. So that goes back to exercise. So exercise and social interactions can mitigate harmful effects caused by radiation. Just a final question, uh, where are we at in terms of looking at this way of trying to deal with aging? We have a lot of interesting discoveries. Now I think it's a matter of putting them together and applying for and conducting clinical trials to actually prove it and then get it accepted. So there are some clinical trials now that you know are on the go. We are talking about starting several clinical trials in personalized medicine as well as in geoprotectors. And now, given this new kind of you know, new data sets we have, trying studying some trials with you know diet and exercise. And I guess that that is where we need to go. Okay, Dr. Kavalchuk, I'm uh, looking forward to your presentation at Idea City. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very excited. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can see Dr. Olga Kowalczyk this coming Wednesday afternoon at Idea City 2015 at Toronto's Kerner Hall. For more information, go to ideacityonline.com. I'm Louise Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Howard Rocket, 
miraculously regained movement in his arm nearly 20 years after a massive stroke. Show them what you can do. Lift that arm. Isn't that amazing, everybody? That was the moment Howard Rocket raised his left arm for the first time in 19 years. Since suffering a massive stroke in 1995, Howard has worked tirelessly on his rehabilitation. Nothing, however, improved his arm until he tried a promising new technology called functional electrical stimulation. To mark Stroke Awareness Month, I talked with Howard and his therapist, Sylvia Haycock. It works where a client would like to pick up a glass of water off the table and drink using the hand that's paralyzed. The therapist will place the therapy on the arm, and the therapist helps the client move the arm, and the electrical stimulation goes into the arm. And then after a period of time, several sessions, strength develops in that arm so that client can then pick up the glass of water and drink themselves. And how is that different from other electrical stimulation? It's different because we're working on a functional movement pattern. It's using neuroplasticity. So the more times they teach my arm, uh, the therapist puts on the stuff, gives me the stimulation, and moves my arm based on the protocol. Let's say it's a reach or a pinch. The more times they do it, my brain then starts to learn how to do it, then can do it on its own. So the difference is that this therapy makes your brain relearn these things. Yes. How did this uh, invention uh, come to be at the facility? Well, as I said, this Dr. Milos Popovic invented it and worked on it probably 15 years at the Toronto Rehab Research. Because Toronto Rehab is, I don't think many Torontonians know this, but it's number one in the world in research. He developed his device and he did clinical trials. Actually, it was developed for spinal cord injury originally. So he did it at Lindhurst, where I think Sylvia was involved as well. Am I right, yes, Sylvia? That's correct, yes. I helped uh, with providing the therapy during the trial periods. Um, and what we were able to do was determine uh, over many years what patterns of movement people needed to learn, what did the brain needed to learn to be able to wake up the arm to be able to use it again. We treated maybe over 40 patients a year. So there was there's many patients that went through this therapy. And we were able to establish that a therapist using this tool was more successful and the functional abilities of the client after the treatment was a lot higher. When you asked Howard to try it, given that he'd had his stroke nearly two decades before, did you expect it to work? No. Um, the therapist Thanks, involved. Well, I think we didn't know what to expect. You would start with no expectations. Um, but when we found that we could retrain after that many years, it was a new um, finding and very exciting. After three sessions, your hands started to Start, relax. Started what else? to relax. And then after the first group of sessions, which is 20, I could then put on a glove with five fingers where I only could put on a mitten before. Now, I'm 68 years old, and I don't like to go out wearing a mitten. So even from a self-esteem point of view, like I can now wear a glove with five fingers because I can slip my fingers in there. I was riding a three-wheel bike, which I have, and when I came to a stop and I was going to turn left, I could put my arm, not straight out, but out enough so that the driver behind me knew I was making a left-hand turn. These are all functional things that aren't big for people that are totally functional, but they're really big for me. 
Uh, and uh, you sent me a video of, uh, let's say, an emotional milestone. I said to my granddaughter when I was starting this, I said, I'm going to do this thing. I don't know if it's going to work, but my goal will be able to hug you with both arms, not just my right one. But when I saw her after the 20, I hugged her with both arms. So that was emotional for her, me, and pretty well everybody that sees it. Because it's, uh, it, it's something that we can all identify with. Functional electrical stimulation is now offered in 13 clinics across the province and costs about $3,500 for 20 sessions. It is not covered by OHIP, though some private insurers will pay. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. We'll take a quick break and then return with music from a man who created one of the world's most popular electric guitars, Les Paul. Welcome back to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer, and it's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Bob Comsick. In New York City, Marion Cotillard plays Joan of Arc alongside the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Marie, Catherine et Marguerite, et moi, ce petit bout de femme dans les orties et les boutons d'or, si ébahi qu'elle en oubliait de the performance at Avery Fisher Hall is in French with English surtitles. In L.A., the Playboy Jazz Festival pays tribute to one of L.A.'s own jazz greats, Gerald Wilson. His son, Anthony Wilson, leads his late father's big band at the Hollywood Bowl. To London, England, where visitors witness work by one of the key figures of the Parisian avant-garde movement. Artworks by Sonia Delaunay is on display at Tate Modern. And in Tokyo, a retrospective of one of the foremost painters of the 20th century is on display. Works by Belgian artist René Magritte are at the National Arts Centre. I'm Bob Comsick with the International Arts Datebook. This week marked the 100th anniversary of the birth of Les Paul, the brilliant guitarist and inventor. Born in Waukesha, Wisconsin on June 9, 1915, Les Paul would go on to become one of the most important figures in 20th century music. As a performer, he had a series of hit songs with his wife, Mary Ford, songs such as How High the Moon, Mockingbird Hill, and Via Con Dios. But it is his work as an inventor that has made his name synonymous with rock and roll. In the early 1940s, he crafted a solid-body guitar dubbed The Log, it was a rudimentary instrument named after the giant log of pine that ran down the middle, and it served as the first prototype for other guitars he would develop. In 1951, he paired with the Gibson Guitar Company, and together they created the Gibson Les Paul, the company's first solid-body electric guitar. It's been a favorite of countless guitarists, including Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Joe Perry, Dwayne Allman, Steve Miller, Neil Young, and many other iconic rockers. Right now, we'll hear a terrific example of Les Paul's virtuosic ability. Here he is, along with Mary Ford, with How High the Moon. That was Les Paul and Mary Ford with How High the Moon. This week marked the 100th anniversary of Les Paul's birth. He passed away 
in 2009. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.